This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Vick, and this is the weekly shiur on theological issues in Judaism. In the past few weeks, we have discussed the concept of Tzedem Elokim. My contention was that the doctrine of Tzedem Elokim in Judaism, the image of God, is Judaism's answer to the theological question, where do God and man meet? My point was that because Yiddishkeit does not allow, it, it, it denies, it, 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 it revolts against the notion that an object in the world can be God. God is transcendent. And it rejects, as an extension of that, perhaps even a greater heresy, that a man could be God. But nonetheless, Judaism is based on the notion that God and man can meet, that there's some point of contact. The answer is that man created in the image of God is the answer to that question. There's not a particular man who could become God. No object, no tselem, no image is God, except that man is created in the image of God. And if when man fulfills his definition as the image of God, God is present. Not that man becomes God, but God is present. Why doesn't man become God? Because the image of God is man's potentiality. The image here means the outlying limits. And no one is ever actually God, but by fulfilling one's potential, by transcending oneself, by growing, by becoming more, by becoming better, the act of growing is the presence of God in its development, in its, in, its, in, its, in its actualization of potentiality. But the actual man in any given second, when you freeze fame him, when you look at what he is, then he's only, he's only what he is. He's only, he's only a man. He's infinitely far from God. So the infinite gap between man and God remains, and yet it's bridged through man's development. My point last week was, and how does man develop? How does man transcend himself? And the answer I gave was through actions. Because the great ethical principle that human actions human, human involvement in the world develops human actions in the world pulls man to transcend himself because the actions are challenges and you rise above what you are to become better than you are exhibited it through the story of the Akedas and the story of Chastai Kreskas and uh, and another, another, another manners, and that I claimed explains the immense importance that actions has in Yiddishkeit, as opposed to some other religions uh, which emphasize pure faith or belief. And I want to make the point, if I didn't make it last week, that that difference, being as it is based on the concept of Tzedem Elokim, of man transcending himself, is precisely why actions are more important than beliefs, not because they're really more important. But what you believe, what you feel, uh, the state that you're in is always finite. It's no more than it is. And there's no God in a finite state of man. But actions, because of their calorie, because that when you act, you are moving, you are becoming closer to God, so that's where, that's where God is found. The, the development of your beliefs, the development of your emotions, the development of your character, Becoming better, that's godlike. 
being good, being what you are, believing in something, having faith, doesn't bring you closer to God because there's nothing divine, nothing infinite, nothing perfect in that particular state. Today, having summarized the last three weeks, today I want to draw a conclusion which I think um, is based on that principle. Although logically, it, it isn't mandated. It's not absolutely a logical consequence. And, and that is in the field of sachar ve'onesh. Reward and punishment. One of the great and important and oft-repeated principles of Yiddishkeit is the principle of sachar ve'onesh. Tzadik v'tovlo Rasha Verado. To some extent, almost every story in Breshit is coming to, in one way or another, reinforce that notion. And numerous psukim throughout the uh, throughout the Torah, Pashat uh, Pachukotai, the Tochacha, reward and punishment. Many, many, many psukim in Tanakh, in Tilim, repeat, repeat that, repeat that notion. God's justice means that He rewards the good. And he punishes, he punishes evil. Rutain, la rasha rak rishatar gomel, la chayavim torot. When we were in first grade, second grade, we understood that notion as, if you're good, God pays you. And if you're God, God also pays you, pays you back. God has this store of candy bars. He has a store of things to give you. And, uh, You've done a good job, just like in school. You did something good. So the teacher gave you a prize. You do something good, God gives you a prize. You do something bad, God smacks you on the wrist. That is the notion, since, since reward and punishment is, is clearly based on justice, and justice as we apply justice, when we reflect God's justice in the penal system, in, in courts, well, that's what we do. If a person was bad, you catch him, you put him in jail. You make him suffer a little bit. And if he's good, well, courts don't give out prizes for good, but, but teachers and parents do, you, you give them a prize. It's interesting that in the Middle Ages, almost all Jewish thinkers spent a lot of energy to deny that concept of reward and punishment, in one way or another. And the ways are very, very different. But in Jewish philosophy in the Middle Ages, whether you're the Ramban, a mystic, or the Rambam, a, a rationalist, or Chastai Kreskas, who is a philosophical version of the theory of love. But in the end, when you come to reward and punishment, they all claim that reward and punishment isn't a prize or a penalty that God dishes out, but it's something inherent in what man is. When a person follows the way of God, when a person does those actions, as we described last week, those actions, which are the actions of mitzvot, then his reward is is automatic. It's it's the it's the outcome, the logical, causative outcome of the way he's chosen. In other words, just use a phrase: virtue is its own reward. Not because you reward that you're virtuous. No, it, it really is better. 
a person will receive a reward but he doesn't receive it from God's pockets he receives it from the actual the midst of itself those we showed him who were aware or, or, or were willing to admit that they were countering the more childish notion of reward as candy bars with this notion would cite the Mamar of Chazal that schar mitzvah mitzvah you can understand that phrase the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah in a number of ways and the, the basic understanding in the, in the Middle Ages became, at least among the philosophers of the Middle Ages, became that the reward of a mitzvah is itself. And similarly, the punishment of a life of sin is what that does to you. Sin has an effect on you which is its own punishment. Now they weren't denying that God could hand out reward and punishment. It's sometimes in the more rational rationalistic or Aristotelian versions of Jewish philosophy, there might be some uncomfortableness with the notion of God actually giving out reward and punishment. The Valbach, for instance, does have some problem with it, but, but most of these philosophers didn't have any problem with God being able to do that. They might even do it sometimes. But, but it's not the real meaning of the notion of reward and punishment. That would be a miracle. If God, because you were good, God then did A and B, He gave you a lot of money, that would be direct intervention in God and, and, and it could happen. But the basic idea of reward and punishment is that if you if you follow God's way, you let's talk about now Olam Haba rather than Olam Hazeh, the future world, the spiritual reward that one achieves from a life of virtue is being virtuous and therefore being, let's say, close to God, being within God's embrace. And that is the ultimate spiritual reward. Let's just take you know, the, uh, both the theory and, and the phraseology. Phraseology of the Rambam. When the Rambam wishes to mock the understanding of Islam as he, as he saw it, in this notion he would say, look how foolish they are. They think that Olam Haba, the future world, is people sitting around eating and drinking, having a lot of food, a lot of drink, and, and, and 70 beautiful virgins. Now, if I thought it was funny one because of the idea that physical enjoyment would be the ultimate reward, which to the Rambam really seems uh, uh, silly, but also because the alternative of the Rambam was not that in Olam Haba God is giving you not physical pleasures but some sort of He's handing out some sort of spiritual pleasure. No, the Rambam says is that a soul that's developed properly in this world knows God and in the next world he's living in the knowledge of God the knowledge of God is the greatest bliss the greatest good that could possibly happen it doesn't there is no extra reward the ultimate reward is being we would say close to God Ramam would say being in union with God because knowledge of God according to Ramam is union with God very very similarly who changes the idea of what union with God means and says it's the love of God but the love of God is its own reward because love is something you do, something you feel, and also is the state of bliss of the beloved, what he calls Arivut HaSimcha, the, the pleasantness, it's, strange, it's a much stronger word in Hebrew, the pleasantness of the joy of being in a loving relationship. And in this sense, Chaste is a, is a medieval romantic, love is a real joining of two, of two people, of two souls, of two, of two individuals, and therefore, love brings man into the, into the embrace of God. 
and, and there are other versions of this. And I'm, I'm not planning now to, you know, to recite all the versions, but just the point was that there was this tremendous movement to show or to explain how virtue is its own reward. Not that, not that you don't have great bliss from it. Not that, oh, you should be satisfied. So what if you're suffering, but virtue is its own reward. No. In one way or another, we'll explain why happiness and well-being, especially in the next world, the ultimate reward, and sometimes even in this world, uh, the Bhagavan does attempt to explain why even in this world, virtue is its own reward. Virtue engenders, a, a virtuous person is going to have a much better time in where it counts than a person who engages in crime and sin. Now, I'm not claiming that you have to agree with it. Now, this is a particular philosophic development. And the, the essential notion of reward and punishment in Judaism is that God is just. That the opposite cannot be true. In the words of Avam Avinu, Hashofet kol ha'aretz, lo yaseh mishpat, God is the judge of the world and therefore his actions are just. And justice, the principle of justice is to each according to his deserts, what he is justified, what he deserves to receive. So, if in order to do that, we have to imagine that sometime a person comes and collects and God pays him out, uh, that, that, that satisfies the really important role that uh, reward and punishment plays in Judaism. So God will pay it out from His infinite store of goodies and will pay out uh, punishments from His infinite store of possible torments. Why then do Jewish philosophers, the Rambam, the Ramban, the Chastai, the Sajigan, the Kuzari, why do they make such an effort to place the at least the burden, the majority, the burden of explaining reward and punishment as being the actual logical result, the inherent, the internal development of a life of virtue. And I think the reason is what we were describing. You see, if man doesn't actually change, if he's just what he is, then his reward has to be paid out externally. But once you have this notion, which I've been trying to develop, that man transcends himself, and that, transcend, that, that, that transcendence is man becoming like God, becoming close to God, becoming more godly, which is a stronger term, and I think it's better for our purposes, then you don't really need, and it, it seems trivial, to, 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 to say that a life of virtue, a life of mitzvot, is rewarded by God giving you some, handing you some particular good. The point was this theory allows you, and therefore it's embraced by Jewish philosophy, to say that, well, let's explain the virtues, the mitzvot, the actions that God approves of, as not being doing His will, but they're the method of human self-transcendence. And human self-transcendence is the greatest reward that a person can have because he becomes like God. He becomes more godly. He becomes close to God. One with God because he is, in some sense, imitati yodeo. He is like God. He is similar to God, at least while he's acting in that manner. And 
and therefore all Jewish philosophers and, and the Rambam fights tooth and nail against the notion this could not be true all Jewish philosophers believe that mitzvot have ta'amim have reasons and the ultimate reason is again in different theories in different systems but again in the end the ultimate reason for the mitzvot is that a better man they make man a better person could be better morally more like God better intellectually the Rambam loving more, more able to love God in Rav Kreskas but the mitzvot have they're, they're a method a logical method of your becoming more becoming better improving your ability to relate to God once you say that then you're not going to there's no point it would seem it would seem trivial to say and also when you do it you get ten dollars in the mail these two points go hand in hand the essentialness of the um, endeavor called Ta'amea Mitzvot the reasons for the commandments and the Jewish notion of reward and punishment go hand in hand if you have a view of man and I'm of course now referring to classic Christianity if you have a view of man as impossibly depraved which means two things one means the man can't redeem himself. He can't transcend himself. Two, he's also in a very, very bad shape. The second point is not as important. When people, when people, when Jews think of original sin, the doctrine of original sin, as as something which we don't accept because it says that man is bad, and we have a more optimistic view of man. Okay, that's true, but that's not the main point. The main point is that the doctrine of original sin says that not only that man is sinned and in a state of sin and is depraved, but that he's irredeemably depraved. And the irredeemable part is the more important thing. He can't ever basically change that state. He can't actually make himself better. The notion of repentance in classical Christianity is that you, you repent and then God saves you. You can't change yourself. You can say you want to be better. You can have faith. But that leaves you naturally, logically, inherently in the same state you were before. But then God comes and saves you. And the reason why Judaism doesn't accept the idea of original sin in, in that deep sense is because of the notion of Tzadam Elohim. Of course man can redeem himself. That's the definition of man. The definition of man is he who transcends himself. If today you are average, tomorrow you will be better. If today you are very, very bad, then tomorrow you could be better. To say about a man that he can't, let's say can't repent, that he can't actually change, that he can't make himself better, he can't redeem himself, is in Yiddishkeit to say that he's not a man, that he's not created but said Malokim. And this distinction between man's ability to redeem himself and man's uh, uh, irredeemable depravity leads, I'm not saying it doesn't logically engender, but it leads to a different notion of Sacha the Onish. Since man can transcend himself, that is his reward. Whereas, since man cannot transcend himself, then God has to give him a reward. And even if 
I would in a uh, in, in in a spiritual kind of reward. Say, okay, so God hands out spiritual rewards, which what which is what finer, more spiritual versions of Christianity would say. So God takes you into his bosom. He takes you into the kingdom of God. And he gives you the, the wonderful bliss that he has to give out. And here you have all these Jewish philosophers who you know, believe that God has a lot to give. But what they're saying is that we're earning it, not earning because it's now deserved. They're saying we're actually creating it. Man creates his connection to God by being, according to the theory I expressed, by being like God. According to the Rambam, by getting to know God, that's a union. According to Avchashtai Kreskas, by loving God, and therefore God loving you, and therefore having the union that, that love creates. And all these things add up to the final point, is that man actually makes his own reward, and the Torah is the method, rather than that God obeys God. That makes no difference whatsoever. But God says, you do what God says, you act the way I told you, I'll take care of you. You have here a basic theological divide. First important point in man's ability to redeem himself. And the second point, which is less dramatic because, as I said, I think it's less essential to classical Judaism. But you see how Judaism develops in this area, in this direction. To view man, since man can redeem himself, man can transcend himself, man can create goodness in himself, create godly goodness. It's not an accident that in English the word for God and the word for good have basically the same root. Man can be good means man can be like God. And since that is possible, then justice does not demand that God be there giving out rewards to the righteous. And for that matter, not punishments for the evil either. The loss of the ability to relate to God is also its own punishment. Just as the deepening of one's relationship with God is its own is its own reward. Now I think it should be obvious that what I'm describing is not um, is not an expression of more or less reward. It's not that the reward is greater. God gives out more in one system, in one method than in the other. Uh, nor is it less. I mean, I, you, you might think I said actually that's less. On the one hand, I can think of God showering you with, 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 with good things, with money and, and benefits and pleasures. In this way, all you get is schal mitzvah. If you're not someone who's actually pursuing God, then schal mitzvah mitzvah. The reward of a life of virtue is being virtuous might not seem that attractive. But to a virtuous person, it's extremely attractive. It's not more, it's not less, it's a different kind. It's a different kind. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the uh, more primitive or more simple explanation of reward and punishment as being things handed out by God. And I'm not even criticizing in that sense the, the Christian notion that God's reward is that He uh, takes you into, into His bosom. That might be, that might be greater. In 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 um, amount, in quantity, could be greater, but then how much God gives? God's infinite love could 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 hand out more than you could reward for yourself. But the important point here is that reward in punishment in Judaism is not merely deserved, but and it's not merely earned; it's produced.
In other words, if I work for you and you pay me, that's deserved. It's also earned. It's, it's, the, it's the deserts of my labor. But it's not my labor itself. I haven't produced the reward. And in the way that Jewish philosophers understand Judaism, the reward is not only your just deserts, you've actually, it actually belongs to you because you've made it. It's the sweat of your brow, not the recompense for the sweat of your brow, but it's the very sweat of your brow. It's the difference between um, somebody who works for somebody else and gets paid and somebody who plows his own field and gets paid, so to speak. His reward is to see his, um, his fruits, to see his crops, crops grow. The Maval, in a very famous Mama, quotes with deep admiration the statement of Chazal, Gadol ha'ochel miyegiya kapav yoter miyerechet. It is greater he who eats from the um, labor of his hands, from the efforts of his own of his own actions, he is greater than someone who is Yirei Hashem, Yirei Chet, person who has Yirat Chet, fear of, fear of doing wrong, fear of God. Now, the first phase doesn't sound like a religious phase. Someone who eats from the sweat of his own labor sounds like a farmer. And Yirei Chet, that's what Jews are supposed to be. And Mal explains that Ochel Yigir Kapav doesn't only mean physical labor, although it would include that at least as a reflection of the truth, but it means someone whose reward he has produced. He, he has discovered what he's meant to contribute in the world and he makes that contribution. And that is what sustains him. That is what he's eating now. That is his, that's the food on his table. As opposed to a Yerei Chet who simply avoids sin, does mitzvot, but they're not, he's not producing He's simply doing the right thing. So he, he deserves the Yashakayach. And God really, I think, would have to reward him because he did what he was supposed to do. But if, if that didn't somehow become for him a self-development, a self-transcendence, then he's going to have to get paid. But it's so much greater, not in amount, not quantitatively greater. It's so much deeper to have you reward what you've actually done to yourself. You've transformed yourself into you transform yourself into someone who is like God that is the much more ultimate reward than doing that which pleases God and therefore he he pays you back he, he rewards you because he likes you and that notion the idea of getting away from trying to make God like me by doing what he wants and therefore he pays me to following in his footsteps and therefore becoming a greater person, is, runs very, very deep in, in, in Jewish thought. You might say, well, that sounds so egotistical. Instead of serving God, instead of trying to do that which God wants, I'm trying to do that which makes me better. It's, it's like, it's anti-religious. Religion is about serving God, doing what God wants, not doing what's good for you. But, that's what I've tried to explain in the last three weeks. The way 
in which a man, in fact, betters himself, is by subjugating himself to the will of God. Why? Because what is better for you, the better person, is to be like the true and existing God. To repeat something I said in one of the previous Shurim, when the serpent said to man, you can be by eating from the tree of knowledge. You can become like God. The knower of good and evil, it all depends on how you say the word like. If I'm saying to you, you can develop yourself and become like God, then you won't need God. You replace God. That's sin. But if you can be similar, you can always run after the objective God, the true infinite God exists, and you will never be that. But you can become, you can be in the in the process of becoming like God, then that's, that's, that's the promise of Yiddishkeit. So, is that egotistical? Yes, but the distinction between serving yourself and serving God no longer exists here because the way to serve yourself is not to think of what uh, my own personal uh, desires or interests or, or, or anglicization, but by, by my, the, the thing which really makes me better is to be a reflection of the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And therefore, that's also the reward. The famous Ma'amar of Chazal, which we all know, which defines reward and punishment and the relationship to human actions, Do not be like the servant who serves his master for the purpose, with the condition, in order to receive a reward, but be ka'avadim shemeshushim et harav shalomanat l'kabel pras. Besofa pras laval. If the reason why you follow God's will is in order to receive a pras, a reward, a payment, then you're undermining the very service of God you're doing. You should serve God because you, you want to be like Him. You simply admire Him. Besofa pras laval. That is the ultimate reward. It's not paid out in distinction from the actions. By by forgetting about myself and only doing God's will, meaning only following the ideals, following God, following the good, being devoted to the infinite ideal, which is so far from me, so that I constantly strive to achieve it, even though it seems almost impossible. So for first level, that's selfless emulation of God and that is the ultimate reward and the distinction the contradiction between do I serve myself do I serve God has disappeared and dissolved in the very Mamar uh, Chazal which describes how one how one is supposed to act and relate to God's rewards that's it for today we'll be back next week with another uh, episode in our series on theological principles of Judaism Call to